From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. everybody to another edition of Goal Own Goal. Joining me as always, the other half of the less than dynamic duo, Roger Mitchell. Hello mate, how are you? I'm very good. I'm still trying to recover from watching the, the news here in Italy and we got into a fit of giggles, Raphael and I. There's this there's this wedding that's taking place in uh, Pistoia, which is in Tuscany. <laughs> these people, as is the way now, these people rented out Type a monastery convent for for their extravagant wedding. It's a big thing now, weddings in Italy, and like seventeen, sixteen hundred, something like that. They don't build like that. So first floor, first floor, and uh, <laughs> big wedding. They're all dancing away, and of course the whole thing collapsed. <laughs> So, so, so you've got the you've got the news there. They're on the scene, and it's fucking devastation. <laughs> you've got all these guests all over the place lying down, and then you know the beautiful ending pan to the hospital where the the husband and the wife are lying in a bed all bandaged up, and they're holding each other's hand. <laughs> Be very spazzy. <laughs> A day to remember. <laughs> and we just get into these giggles. It's been an hour we've been laughing at this. <laughs> the uh, the Instagram generation arrives. It's just, th- think of the opportunities here for in- Instagram, though. Some of the great images, drone shots from the hospital ward, it'd be great. <laughs> but it's the way that the, the camera crew did it as if they were having a laugh. Was it? Now we'll just cut it here for the juxtaposition of the horror of the whole day. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, well, sorry, sorry. How are you, my friend? I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing just great. I'm doing just great. I've got, uh, I've got, I've got my uh, my parents here. They're downstairs in the living oh, room, great. being quiet. I hope um, they're here for a couple of months to escape the wicked French winter. So that's great. I can be uh, hanging out with them for a bit, which would be nice. That's um, great. You're in South Carolina, as always. No, no, it's uh, Cayman Islands. All right. Okay. It's definitely, okay. And uh, and uh, as always, Rog, the world of sport just keeps on giving to us. Keeps on giving to us. Oh man, there's so week. much to so much today. I've I've been enjoying so much the last few months of the Paddy Power content and all the memes. It's I, I've got a couple here. I just I just want to throw off you. What's the story with Fulham and the cheese boards? What what is that all about? <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a. Uh, <laughs> that is um, an al- allusion, not an illusion, an allusion to the fact that uh, Fulham fans are all kind of a bit Chelsea wah-wahs. They're all a bit, you know, they're not, they're not having a pint and a sandwich, they're bringing a cheese board and having some crackers and cheese at half-time instead of a pint a pint, Rog. But I looked it up, I, I, I googled Fulham cheese board, and that product exists. It does exist. Oh, of course it does. Of course it does. Of course it My does. God, it's not, it's right. not a specific. It's it's like the prawn sandwich brigade. It's just look, it, 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 Rog. You can get you can get anything. I I think if you look at just about any club, you will find every sort of merch you want, whether it's for your I dogs can guarantee or for your kids. You, or, hand on the fire. There's no fucking cheese board at Celtic. I can guarantee you that anybody wants to you prove what? me wrong. Let's do this. Let's, let's do, do this right now. A la Joe Rogan. Let's Google. get it up. <laughs> I am Googling Celtic Cheese Board right now. Celtic Cheese Board. Check out our Celtic Cheese Board You're selection for the very best joking. and unique or custom handmade pieces. You're oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, no, hang on, Rog, hang on, hang on, hang on. Google obviously doesn't know the difference between a hard C and a soft C. Oh, of course. That's I suspect, is a Celtic Cheese Board. Yes. However, Celtic FC football fan, here we go. You can have your name engraved on it. Celtic FC football fan, personalised gift, T-shirt, chopping board, serving board. There you go. How about that? 
I can get you one of these. I'm going to get you one of these, Rog. It's got the Celtic uh, Football Club badge on that's it, and it's got graceful. your name on it. I'm going to, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get you one of those and order that for you. I'm going to bookmark that. You know, and then there's, you there's, can serve there's just... me some cheese on it next time I come and see you. <laughs> or the next time you go on the captain's boat, he's always got the, yeah, there you go. the, the platter. And I saw the, I saw so the before, other one. Let he who is without uh, cheese cast the first stone. That's Rog. right. Okay, fair enough. The, um, and what did you think of the stuff that was flying around with Arteta and Salt Bay? Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. So are you don't, don't get me started on Salt Bay. I'm not a Salt Bay fan. You know that. Well, well nobody is, right? This I, is the point. You know, I actually, I resent the fact that I know who he is. I, I physically resent the yeah, fact that I know the, who he is because I shouldn't. Yeah, so that, so that's the point. So um, a, a gunner friend of mine um, was trying to defend this, basically saying it's a great place to go. Uh, Arteta was there with his family, and the video, because obviously there's the video. You've got this guy Salt Bay cutting the the steak, and then he's got this. Sh- you know, the salt action going on. And it's just horrible, Grant. And there's no excuse for that. You know, okay, it's in good faith, but anybody that knows football would absolutely avoid that guy's restaurant. Would would you not? Would you not avoid it? Well, no, so, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm not, I've not got the context here. When, when, what exactly happened? I still don't quite know. It was to, just someone who dinner. saw Arteta there. Well, he, Arteta was there at dinner, it's so okay. base in Dubai, I think it is in Dubai. And anyway, there's a video of it and he's going through the whole palaver of cutting it and all dramatically spreading the salt. And then he gets a bit of steak and puts it into Arteta's mouth directly. And it's just horrendous, a horrendous look. You know, it's because of the hair, you know, he's got that kind of like, you know, big gym hair, everything like that. You know, Ronald Reagan hair. It's just a horrible look. And of course, Paddy Fell went to town. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I completely missed this one. I completely missed this one. But anybody who's given it in spades to Salt Bay, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with Roger because I think the whole thing is nonsense. It's, it's just the, um, the, 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 the apotheosis, apotheosis of this celebrity culture to me. It's just but the best nonsense. one. The best one I heard on all of this was um, uh, we do we should shout out uh, Kaiser Kaiser Franz Beckenbauer. Uh, magnificent player. Absolutely, we should. That was one of my. That was one of my goals. Well, we'll come back to that because that the, the, he's only he's only a prop in this joke, which is um, only three people have both won have won the World Cup as manager and player: <laughs> Zagallo Beckenbauer. And the, the, the joke was at this moment, Didier Deschamps is shitting himself because <laughs> they both died within a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, let's, Roger, actually, let's not come back. Let's do this now because this was my, uh, this is one of my goals. Not, not the death, obviously, of Franz Beckenbauer, but the career of Franz Beckenbauer. What a, you know, what a titanic figure. What a wonderful footballer he was, and what a, what a gentleman he seemed like. You know, I, 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 I the story I was going to tell you was the time I met him many years ago, in, um, in Tokyo. You'll like the story. So a bunch of us are out having dinner at a restaurant in Tokyo, and bearing in mind, if you picture, if you can, this far back. I think I was 23 years old at the time. So that's a long time ago. Uh, 19, where are we? 90? Yeah, it would have been 1990. And they just started having the World Super Cup, the winners of the Champions League, or what was then the European Cup versus the winner of the UEFA Cup, I think it was all. Uh, or yeah, was yeah. it? Yeah, it would have been. It would, it would have been, yeah. And they had, the match, they had the match in Tokyo. It was sponsored by Toyota. Um, and it wasn't as big a deal as it is these days. It was, you know, it didn't get as much publicity, but uh, uh, it, nonetheless, it was staged there. And so, uh, this particular year, Bayern Munich had won one of them. I forget which one it was. And they were in Tokyo to play in the Super Cup. Uh, and of course, football wasn't as big then as it is now, and certainly not in Japan. So we were sitting, myself, uh, four buddies of mine. And our respective partners were all sitting having dinner in a restaurant, a Japanese, uh, an Italian restaurant in a place called Emotosendo in, uh, in, uh, in Tokyo. And in the corner was a table uh, with Franz Beckenbauer and all the bigwigs of Bayern Munich. He was, you know, he was in the upstairs at the time. And they're all sitting having a quiet dinner and we're all, you know, English kids in our 20s being a, you know, having a few beers and getting a bit obnoxious and you know, asking the waiter he's got a you know, bottle of the 66 and all this kind of nonsense, <laughs> right? Loud enough, loud enough for the Germans faulty. to hear us. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> loud enough for the Germans to hear us. And um, 
Jesus. My buddy Kevin Billsby. <laughs> oh wait, it gets it gets it gets way worse. So my oh, friend no. Kevin has a has a, some reason I can't remember why he had a camera with him. This was long before the cameras on phones. I think he'd been out with his parents in town. They'd been sightseeing or something. So he goes, "Hang on, boys, watch this." So he wanders over to the table in the corner with the camera and he holds it and he goes, uh, "Mr. Beckenbauer, would you mind?" And, he, and he, Beckenbauer kind of goes, you know, tuts and kind of looks at the people around the table and goes, you know, I get this all the time. He goes, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, no problem, no problem. So he gets up and comes over and Kev hands him the camera and just goes, just press that button there. And then the four of us all stood like this with their arms around. So no. then he got Beckenbauer to take the photo of us. <laughs> Needless to say, we all found it hilarious. Franz was a bit baffled. Uh, and somewhere <laughs> there is a picture of four of us without Franz Beckenbauer and it was taken by Franz Beckenbauer. So That's he was, uh, he, took it all, he, took it all, he took it all in good part, Roger. He took it all in good part and we sent a bottle of wine over to the table afterwards. So it all well that ended well. <laughs> we didn't, they didn't have a bottle of 66. Thank Christ, or it would have cost us an arm and a leg. <laughs> no, um, let's, let's also give him a little bit of his due. Um, the thing about these people passing, of course, and there was Cruyff as well and, uh, obviously, Diego. Bobby Charlton, obviously. Yeah, obviously. You know, the younger generation don't know. Uh, and it's a bit sad to see the lack of respect that they give to these people. You know, um, you just see comments. Okay, it's on Twitter and everybody's stupid on there. But, you know, uh, this guy was the the complete footballer. You know, started as a box-to-box midfielder. I mean, like Jude Bellingham, think of that. Then goes into defence and becomes Bobby Moore. Um, just... Uh, he was my generation. I mean, I had two guys. Um, they both won three European Cups. They're all Johan Cruyff and then Beckenbauer. They, they they dominated those six years consecutively. And that was my generation. These people were gods. Gods. Well, Beckenbauer changed the way defenders play football, right? I mean, it completely changed the way that, that, that defence was played. And before that, it would just hoof the ball into Rosette get it away from the, you know, nobody played out from the back. No one was, you know, could put, no, no centre-back in the world could pass like Beckenbauer could. It was ridiculous. He completely, the completely changed the, the way they played football. Yeah, 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 exactly right. And let, let's admit it, we all tried to do that when we were in the park. All, all the passes were with the outside <laughs> of the boot. <laughs> tried, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a, that was a, again, and you're right, we should, we should give a shout-out to Mario Zagallo as well, Roger, another, another great footballer, great manager. Um you know, for that, for that Brazil team, you know, he played alongside all the greats. Yeah. Listen, I, my objective for this goal on goal is to try and annoy you as much as possible. Um, Excellent. Have at it, my friend. Have at it. But, you, but you, 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 join, you join a seemingly growing queue this week, so take your place at the end, grab a ticket, and away you go. So here's, my, here's the first one. Uh, maybe the best one, but you need to start with a bang, don't you? I saw this tweet, uh, which I wasn't expecting to see. Uh, I've, I've written it down. We want to try and negate the Taylor Swift effect of gaining viewers and positive exposure. So let's bring on one of the worst people possible that has nothing to do with our product, isn't dating one of our superstars and won't bring in any new viewers. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Cramer. Did you see that he commented on the NFL? <laughs> I didn't, no. I didn't. You didn't. You didn't. I didn't. Oh man, no, if I, no, if, I, I didn't. if I got a treat for you. Now I don't know how much on, time you want is I don't well, we could spend a lot of time. Take in all this the time you want, my friend. Take all well, the time well, you get, want. Guess what he did? He tried to parlay uh, all the teams in the NFL with his stock tips. You with me? Oh god. Yeah. Well, listen, um I'll, a quick parenthesis. J- Jim Kramer is a guy on what is it called? Money Madness. He's been CNBC. on it for thirty years. CNBC. Mad been money. on it for thirty years. Has been associated with one of some of the worst calls ever in the stock market. And in any normal world, he would no longer be on the screen because he's lost a lot of innocent people, a lot of money by making just horrendous calls with the most awful amateur bombast, you know, that you can imagine. So he, here's here's how it goes. I'll just start and you style tell me over substance, right? Style over substance. Yeah, yeah. That's his, uh Right, so uh, the game here today is to associate an NFL team with uh, one of his stock tips. I'm going to start with the Miami Dolphins. uh, And I will um, ask you which which company could be associated with uh, the Miami Dolphins. Oh, Roger, I have no idea. It's I mean, one of your I have no idea. Once, once, you, once, you, once you give me a couple of these, I okay, might be able to get okay. some of those and like, see is, how he's going. Because Miami Dolphins is Tesla. 
Like the electric vehicle manufacturer, Kramer said the Dolphins are known for their speed. And like Tesla, the team's performance is not consistently reliable. <laughs> hey, that's the first thing Kramer's ever said that I can kind of agree with. Then we go on to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, he associates with Berkshire Hathaway. The Browns remind Kramer of... Uh, Ber- <laughs> yes, of Berkshire Hathaway's legendary holding company, finding a few solid players like Warren Buffett finds good value stocks. This is a really interesting what? one. Really, it's nonsense. How, how, about, how about the lack of any success over about 50 years? Just listen. Kansas City Chiefs NVIDIA... Kansas City Chiefs is, is NVIDIA. As the defending champions this season, Kramer likens the team to semiconductor giant NVIDIA, which he called the defending champion of the S&P 500. You get this, you get the style of this. This was in an NFL broadcast. The Chiefs haven't always looked great this season, Kramer said, just as NVIDIA stock suffered for some of last year. But now the stock has broken new highs and Kramer said Chiefs fans should hope their team's performance follows the same trajectory. And he well, goes well, can, through... Can I ask one simple yeah. question, Rog? What's the point of this? Like the tweet at the start said, I guess to make it attractive to some version of to viewer. I, I don't know. I don't know. Buffalo Bills is associated with Meta. To Kramer, the Bills seem primed for a great run, just like Meta, which is now firing on all cylinders. Oh, somebody kill me. The Green Bay, no, I told you I was going to Green Bay Packers uh, is to Disney. Like Disney, the Packers are an iconic outfit, trying to forge a new identity and return to prominence. Just, un- I mean, like, okay. this, he goes through 14 teams. I'll, I'll post this on uh, I'll post this on the, the, the Twitter account afterwards. So I thought that would be a good own goal to start uh, the proceedings. And I'll have a general chat about the NFL. Yeah, well, Jim Jim Cramer is. Um, if I was going to make him a uh, movie character, he'd be Navin Johnson. Is who he'd be. Who's that? Raj, Navin Johnson, played by uh, played by Steve Martin in that great film, The Jerk. I think that would be the perfect. <laughs> The perfect movie character to uh, equate to our friend Mr. Kramer. Oh, so boy. well, you've, you've succeeded. Well done, mate. You've succeeded in irritating me right off the bat. So kudos got, to I'm you. I'm going to keep going it, now. Another, right, another, going. another tweet from Joe Pompliano, who, who many listeners will, will be following anyway. Um, the NFL put the game on Peacock, this uh, Chiefs-Dolphin game, which means that oh, NFL yes, I was fan about this. now needs YouTube TV, Sunday Ticket, Amazon Prime, Peacock, SPN+. Plus. That's more than $1,000 each season and only going north. Um, when do they think, how far do they think well, they we'll can see push about that. this grant? How far I was going to say, we'll see push? about that, Rog. We'll see about that. This idea that it's only going north, I, I disagree. I don't think that's the way of it at all. I mean, I, I, they're going to keep trying, but they're going to run into problems, I suspect. It's funny, I was, it's so, so funny you brought this up. This is going to be one of my own goals this week. Um, I was listening, I was in the US uh, earlier this week and I was listening to, um, I guess I was listening to a podcast and, uh, and it came on with a, a commercial for this Peacock NFL game. And the bombast around it, the guy, you know, they had the guy who does all the movie trailers, you're in a world where they had <laughs> that guy doing the thing. Jesus. And, he, and they were literally talking about uh, witness history this Sunday, and you're going, what's going to what? happen? The first ever game, NFL game, live on Peacock. How is that history? <laughs> it's not, you know, I mean, okay, I get it. In the very loosest definition, it's the first time it's happened. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're making history. But the, you know, it, 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 the two things that occurred to me, I was listening to thing. One is exactly what you've said. When, when you're in the States, you realise that these games are shown across so many different networks and platforms and streaming services now. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and and you, you kind of realise that. And, and two, you, you realise that this, this whole thing, Rog, is to me teetering on a knife edge. They are trying to figure out how to squeeze any money they can out of sport because as we've said on this show many, many times, sport is the only thing that people will actually pay money for now. It's, it's the last man standing. And they're going to try and squeeze every egg out of this golden goose they possibly can, and they are absolutely going to squeeze it too hard. They're going to throttle the bloody thing, um, and you can feel it coming. 
you know, the the NBA games, they're starting to show them on Apple TV live now. You know, Amazon have got yeah. soccer, they've got baseball. Um, all these streaming services are starting to cannibalize the market. And, um, you know, I, I, I suspect, Roger, at some point, the leagues are either going to have to do a deal with someone like Sky, like the uh, Premier League have done with Sky and give someone the bulk of these games and maybe let whoever, Amazon, let's say Apple plays Sky and Amazon is BT Sports and has one game a week or whatever it may be. But this idea that to, to watch the NFL, you need four or five different subscription services, it just, it just can't last. People are not going to be able to do something about it. They're not going to be able to afford this stuff. So I think we're, we're at the kind of end stage of this now, Rog, and, and the, the, the kind of pushback is going to start to occur soon, I would think. And why don't you think, Grant, that like in any other business, when you see your top line stagnating, you know, good managers and good CEOs start looking to make savings on the cost line. Sport doesn't seem to do that, or at least not yet. It's never really managed to do it. America's slightly different because they've got the whole union thing and that's the kind of like the article I wrote this. Collective this bargaining, Sunday. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I can. that's the only thing I see happening here. They're going to run up against the ceiling on revenue growth and they're going to have to attack costs. And, you know, they'll polarise. The superstars will be fine. But I think there's going to be 70, 80% of the market that are going to see some serious hits. And I think, you know, the, the players' wages are the shock absorber and the P&L account. And... Um, you know, then you see other little things linked to it, which are relatively positive, but you see how the fans react, which I would mention Newcastle Football Club. You know, uh, all the, oh, why can't we just spend what we want? Why are we tied into this uh, financial fair play that the Premiership, which, by the way, they voted for Newcastle. It's funny how your vote changes when you feel whether you've got money or not. Um but, you know, all of this, I believe, in 2024 is going to be the big thing. It's going to be a focus on costs, and the main cost is is the, the athlete uh, remuneration. And I just think there needs to be upfront thinking on a new social contract for, certainly in Europe, for the whole the whole shooting match. It's, it's not sustainable. They're squeezing it, and it's, going to, it's just going to collapse. Well, this, look, this does actually tie in beautifully to the piece you published today, um, uh, on your on your blog, uh, and we should give a plug to that albakiara dot net, a l b a c h i a r a. I spell that pretty quick on the fly. dot uh, net. And yeah, Roger, if you don't know, Roger publishes a blog piece on there every Sunday, and it is Roger. I have to say, your writing has just become so so good um, over this last year. Every piece you write is is really it's it's just beautifully written, and today's was no exception. And you, and you talked about this, so take a moment to talk about what you wrote about this week, because I, I think it's absolutely right, and it was, it was as always, beautifully done. And, and as much as you're trying to piss me off, I hate having to be nice to you and give you compliments, yeah, well, but unfortunately well, I, it's the I, truth. I'm gonna, I, I, well, I'm going to also tell you the truth a little bit. You know, the, the, if it has evolved a little bit in the last year, it's because I'm plagiarising a little bit how you do yours. Your, your, article, <laughs> your articles start with a, a story that's often uh, only tenuously connected to the main hook, uh, which is often from the past. And today, um, mine's was about one of the great trade unionists that came from Glasgow uh, called Jimmy Reid. Uh, he was a shipbuilder and was in the middle of the 70s. He was a what? A shipbuilder. <laughs> well, that's a bit harsh, Rod. He wasn't that bad. I heard he made some very good stuff. <laughs> and you still want to keep me be serious after that joke? <laughs> Sorry, matey. Carry on. <laughs> so anyway, he 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 was right in the middle of everything that happened <laughs> in Europe and in, in the UK when you know the seventies came in, the three day week, all the strikes, uh, active trade unions. So so there was a link about you know the role of trade unions uh, and you know what happened during Thatcherism and 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 how trade unions are actually very important and certainly in sport they, they've made a major contribution both sides of the Atlantic that probably younger viewers and long, younger listeners don't realise trade unions are important. Sadly, certainly in Europe, um, sport has been poorly served by their unions. In my experience, they've been a little bit of a nothing burger. 
uh, and I'm suggesting that um, they could do with the people like in the old days, Jimmy Reed, um, who came out with this amazing phrase, uh, which I think is very pertinent for sport these days. Um, you know, sport is polarizing, big money here, big money there, everything's going to the top end. It's a rat race. And he famously, in his speech, considered one of the greatest speeches ever, not just in Scotland, but everywhere, uh, said, um, it's a rat race. Uh, however, we are not rats, we are human beings. So it's a little bit of a um, throwback to Glasgow upbringing socialism. It's linked a little bit to the idea of loyalty and Camelot and the one before. And, and I don't know, I just think it's a reaction, Grant, to me, uh, an uber-capitalist, a child of Thatcher, somebody that's done relatively well in the laissez-faire world of, you know, the 80s onwards, um, feeling, and perhaps in later years, that um, we should probably spend a little bit more time trying to look after the people that are in the long tail. Sorry if that waffles a little bit, but it was quite a long article. No, 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 but, but we should talk about how this this plays out in the world of sport because, you know, it's interesting... Um, Right before I read that, I was it's the, it's the 25th anniversary this week of the airing of the first episode of The Sopranos, um, which uh, I'm sure everybody's seen. If you haven't, you're missing, you're in for a real treat. Watch all six seasons. It is breathtaking. And it is it is widely acknowledged as the show that changed TV and brought in this, this kind of peak television period of The Wire and Breaking Bad and Mad Men and all these great series. Um, and they had, a, they had an interview with... Um, with some of the, the guys who were in the show. And one of them was the guy who played uh, Big Pussy Bomp and Sierra. And, you know, he got he got clipped at the end of season two, I think it was, if I remember rightly. He got dumped in the sea off the back of, um, of Tony's boat. Um, but what struck me, they talked about what they were earning for their... Um, for their roles in this thing, Rog. And obviously, you know, as, as, the, as the shows go on and get bigger audiences, the stars get bigger wages um you know famously the, the 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 six stars of friends were getting a million bucks each per episode in the last couple of seasons that's that's the kind of money that's available for a successful series um but uh, but big pussy was talking about how he got paid three and a half grand an episode three and a half grand an episode and the difference, it, it really struck me after, after you know, and then reading your piece, I can't remember which one I read first, but I read them con concurrently. Um, uh, what struck me was the difference between the stars, what they get paid, and what the, the people who are every bit as important, you know, that story wouldn't have gone where it gone without Big Pussy Bompatera, right? It just wouldn't have been the same story. Um, arguably, Gandolfini, yes, was was a, a known actor. I'm not going to say a well-known actor. He was almost a character actor before The Sopranos. Um, Stevie Van Zandt was famous for playing in the E Street Band, not as an actor. You know, Michael Imperioli was a young guy, so there really weren't any real superstars in that show. They were all kind of cast because they were Italian-Americans and they looked the part. And they, you know, so, so to see the difference in the wages that the stars get paid versus the, you know, the, the, that's that's likened to a footballer, the, the you know the the working the hardworking midfielder who's no you're not going to set the world on fire. Uh, something has to change, Rog. To, to your point, you know the, the 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 reality is that not everyone on a football team can earn three hundred grand a week. That's just the reality, and and I think you're, what you just said earlier on is exactly right. The stars are still going to get the big money, but if you are you know a journeyman pro who's bumped around from club to club and has you know done well at clubs here and done well there, but you're not a superstar, there's going to be some very uncomfortable conversations in your future, I suspect. I think that's where they're going to have to make these cuts. They say, right, the top guys get 500 grand a week. The next lot getting 350, you're down to 100 a week and we'll we'll take it from there and see how we go. Listen, you're right. And, and, and you know, the, the whole philosophy of that article and the one about the tours and Camelot the, 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 um, the week before... Is is exactly in this, you know. Um, listen, for individual sports, it's slightly different, and there you do have to hope that people feel loyal and they feel a a, a responsibility to the structures that that made them what they are. But for team sport, your point is even more important because the market will tell you that um, you know Mbappe gets half a whatever it is a, a million a week and somebody else gets 40 grand a week and they're playing potentially in the same team. What does that do for team building? 
you know, it's, it's, and you know, that's why Jimmy Reed is the center of the article today, because as I said, that kind of community outlook where we're all part of a, a group of a band of brothers, if you will, was the ethos from exactly the same part of the world of Bill Shankly, of Matt Busby, of Jock Steen, and of Sir Alec Ferguson. And they were the ultimate team builders. And sport, I think, if it doesn't get its head round some kind of structure to not make it only, I'm all right, Jack, what is my market valuation, and to hell with it. I don't think teams are that easy to keep together. And, you know, that's that was the hook that um, I thought we need to talk about because it's it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And, and you know, anyway, it was, um, I'm glad you liked it. You know, um, I think, as I say, these things are becoming much more for me, a little bit more philosophical rather than hard vertical, you know, sport business stories about rights and who bought those rights and where are they getting distributed and who's the new, new CEO of that. I'm finding that a little bit, um, difficult to keep my attention these days. Although I, I will bring one up, which is linked to what we were saying before about um, the NFL. Um, Jerry Cardinale, our friend from the show, uh, has been very vocal in saying that he feels we're in a bubble. Um, and we absolutely are in a bubble. There's no doubt about it. Um, however, you then see you then see two circles, which I think is the poster child in the sports industry for an agency, a data-led agency. They were the first one. You know, they were bought by George Pine's company, I think, for about $45 million. Maybe more than that. I can't remember. They made some acquisitions. But they've been sold for $300 million, uh, Bruin Capital to Charterhouse, PE to PE grant. PE to PE. Now, there's a whole bit in the book about continuation funds and kicking the can down the road to make sure you don't need to mark to market. But I don't think this industry of ours understands what's going on, PE to PE, where they're just kind of like shuffling the cards and, and making sure that you get distracted a little bit. Because, you know, no matter how much I love Two Circles, I've always been a big fan of them. They're not worth 300 million grand. They're not, you know, so... Tell people a little bit what you think is happening in P briefly. You know, like, do you think it is all a little bit of, you know, I'll scratch my, your back, you scratch mine, we'll get ourselves out of these things that were, you know, below what we invested in? Or, or you know, do you think they still are the future of, you know, where all the investment's going to come from? No, I don't, Roger. I think, I think, um, I think Jerry's right. I think we're in a bubble. But as always, when you're in a bubble, even if you know you're in it, um, you're paid to stay in it as long as you can. You're not paid to step aside and wait for it to burst. Um, you know, Charlie Munger, God rest his soul, was the, the thing I wish I'd said the most in, in this business of ours, uh, Charlie Munger said, and that is show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. It's just such a wonderfully simple encapsulation of not just the world of finance or the world of sport, but everything. You know, incentives are everything, Rog. And so, yes, we're in a bubble, but these PE guys get paid an awful lot of money to stay in the bubble and play the game as long as they can play it. And at some point it'll all go poof and they'll have some deals that go horribly sideways. But in the meantime, you know, these continuation funds, these these uh, sales between chummy uh, PE firms that keep the valuations up and, you know, why don't I sell this to you for three times what I paid for it and then, you know what, in my next fund I'll buy one of those things from you for three times what you paid for it and, you know, everything looks great and we stick them in the next fund which got which has got a 10-year life and so yeah, hopefully in those 10 years' time we'll be able to get the money back or we'll make a bit of money and it's a shell game. It's it's a shell game. A lot of these guys, I mean, they're not all at it, Rog. Let's, let's be fair, I don't want to tire them all with the same brush but like everything, the amount of money that's been there to be made in PE has attracted an awful lot of substandard people to the space um, who are, you know, PE in name only and don't have the gravitas or the background or, frankly, the integrity to to um, to play the game properly. It's, it's a way to make a lot of money quickly and, um, and get rich off the fees. So I, I think we are in the last stages of this. I think there's maybe one more hurrah when we see rates get cut, which they will have to be. Um, but uh, I think once once we see rates get cut again, if there is a last hurrah in PE... Uh, that would be the train that, if I was 
in that business, I would want to get on and ride out of town before uh, before the whole thing collapsed. Yeah, yeah. On um, on a slightly similar philosophical theme, but I think it's super important because it is something that we've talked about a lot. I did my article on quotas about three, two or three months ago, uh, and it's brought up um, by that horrible individual, Joey Barton, uh, who for, for, for reasons that um, are just despicable, he's trying to um, corral the dregs of society uh, into the most awful community that he in some way hopes to monetize. Uh, and he's done that going after female um, pundits and commentators. And, you know, you see clips that he puts out and everything like that, and he's getting into fights with Gary Neville and everything like that. The fact is there's, I could list the name of really bad male commentators and pundits, really bad, that are in there just because they played a couple of games and had a good career. And <coughs> in terms of, Phil Neville, anybody. <coughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 Stephen Manaman. Yeah, exactly. Here Sorry. we go. We've got them all. So, so anyway, the bit. Of, so, so two things have brought DEI uh, to a place that it wasn't when I wrote that article at Quotas, which was only some weeks ago. One was Joey Barton. The other one was with what's happened with the Ivy League universities. Um, and it's amazing how quick the tables change. You know, so Ackman, who um, I think he's Jewish um, and a donor to a lot of these universities, has a go at, you know, what happened there with the testimony of, of the three presidents. And then he was attacked by Business Insider, who you have some dealings with in the past. Uh, uh, his wife is attacked for plagiarism. <laughs> and Ackman is perhaps not the guy you want to pick a fight with because he's then thrown he's not. so No, he's not. He's thrown so much money at uh, trying to pick up uh, everybody who's on the other side and plagiarism in their career. But, you know, that's not the real story. What I found really funny, and I'm trying to bring it back to sport, is the little uh, exchange between him, he started it, uh, Mark Cuban uh, of the the Mavs, who um, tried to defend DEI, I thought relatively well. And, of course... Well, not of course. Perhaps surprisingly, Elon Musk, who... Who is Who? But, well, this is my point, uh, Grant. Why is Elon Musk all of a sudden gone so anti Because he can't help it. No, no, no. This is... Look, Rog, Elon Musk is Elon Musk. He's the same Elon Musk he's been all this time. He's oh, been hiding that. in plain sight from everybody. It's not... Um, it, it, he hasn't changed. He has not changed, I promise you. Well, let's say he's cunning in the sense that I believe that he knows that the the walls, as you said in a previous episode, are closing in. Uh, all these articles about the crap he's said about his cars, their range, what they can do, what they can't do. The walls are closing in. And I think he's found a rather uh, suitable deflection uh, advice because he came out, you know, he's come out with this great line, this this great line against Cuban who was saying diversity is so important and everything like that. So he said... When should we expect to see a short white Asian woman on the Mavs then, Mark? You know, uh, and, and, and you know, the, 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 the point is, is that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everybody's having a go at this diversity thing. And it seems to be the tool of choice to kind of like deflect away a little bit from other things that, are going wrong in your world or it's, it's just, I just, I just wanted your view in that. Cause I just find it so bizarre that in about seven or eight weeks, the world seems to have changed. This is the pendulum. You know, we've talked about this in, in the past that pendulums reach, reach their apex and then they start coming back the other way. <clears throat> and when they do, it's not, it's not a gradual transition, right? It just comes back the other way. And that, We've talked about this and say this will happen, and it's happening. And once it starts happening, there's a there's a lot of pent up. You know, you get that moment of inertia, but it's at its maximum uh, extent, and then there's a lot of pent up energy that takes it back the other way. And so, what we're seeing now, uh, frankly, doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't surprise me at all that people have turned on this on this thing because it was like all these things. It was being shoved down everybody's throat. It wasn't something that you could think about and have an opinion about, it was forced upon you and you had to have a certain opinion about it. Otherwise, um, that was unacceptable. And a lot of people kept quiet 
because <clears throat> I didn't want to upset the apple cart. A lot of people, um, you know, talked about it quietly but didn't want to say anything publicly. And once it becomes clear that Penyum's gone back the other way and it kind of is okay to talk about it in public and take the other side of it, people are like, finally, and they throw off the, you know, the disguise they had on. They go, right, and another thing. So it was always going to happen this way. Um, the, the thing that's different with sport, and, and this is the point you've been making all along, is that sport is or always has been the ultimate meritocracy. It's not about quotas. It's not about inclusion. It's about are you the best at what you do, period. Um, certainly at the professional level. I mean, you know, kind of kids t-ball and kids five-a-side football or whatever, um, it's a little bit different. The coach, I remember coaching my daughter's like fifth grade, fourth grade basketball team and making sure that everybody got the same amount of playing time, right, at that age. That's just the way it was. Um, but uh, but at the professional level, forget it. It's all, are you the best person in that position? It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Asian, doesn't, doesn't make any difference. Um, and so sport is is always, was always going to be in the vanguard of this movement because it's the only place really that you can actually push back and point to numbers and point to data and say, there you go. We happen to have nine white players on our team or 10 black players on our team. These are the best guys in their positions. Here's the data that proves it. Go away. And it and it doesn't matter, right? It it doesn't matter. And you look at you look at the the crowds at these games, um, except Fulham, obviously, Rog. Um, you look at the crowds, and the crowds are diverse and multicultural, and they're all there behind the team. And, and it's you know, sport is really that one place where I think even the crowd are largely blind. It wasn't the case. You you and I were around in the seventies in the UK when you know Viv Anderson was the first black player to play for England. You know, incredibly late on. And it was a big deal. Um, now, when was the last time you saw anybody talking about a person's colour when they get their England first England cap? It just—it's a non-event anymore. It's not—it's not—it's not an issue in sport. So I think sport is is arguably the kind of shining light in this, and it and it does show you that if you make something a, a merit-based um, a merit-based enterprise, ultimately. It, it benefits because you end up with the best people in the best roles, whether it's sport, whether it's business. It, it, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, if, if the world was merit-based, um, I think we could all be very happy with that. And the idea is that if you are the best at what you do, you make more money, you give some of that money back and you help the people who aren't in as fortunate position. That's the way it should work. And that, I think, is why this DEI movement is, is being attacked now because whilst you can argue that its aims were were good, its intentions were good, the means by which it's set about achieving those aims have been self-defeating. Yep. Um, although I want to take you back down into, you know, the st- st- storytelling, you know, arc of uh, triumph and depths of despair. You know, so if you're saying sport is is leading the way out of here, here here's one that's going to take us right back. Did you follow the David Teeger story of South African oh, cricket? Oh, is this sorry, the guy who got cricket. suspended? Cricket, the young yeah. guy who got suspended. Yeah, he's the yeah, captain. I, do you know, I saw the headline and and I, I I literally, I could not believe what I was reading. I was just getting on a plane. I didn't read the story. The headline I read, and you can fill me in, was that this young, he's a young kid, right? 19 years old or 20 years old or something? under 19 captain. Under, under 19, yeah, captain. under 19 captain. Uh, he's Jewish and he got suspended for tweeting a pro-Israel tweet. Is that right? Something like that? They've dropped him completely. They're hosting some kind of World Cup in South Africa, I believe. And Cricket South Africa has uh, taken the step of what's called sacking him, although I, I don't know it's sacking or whatever, but he's no longer there. Uh, he had commented in support of Israeli soldiers, etc., uh, etc. Et he's Jewish, uh, so like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're, we're, it's hard to pick a side, is it, Roger? Yeah, yeah, uh, and... Um, but anyway, they're basically saying that keeping him in here in this international competition would have created um, danger and concern for the whole tournament. So let's just take him out so that, you know, there's no there's no potential risk coming from this individual. And, you know, I've spoken to a few people that I know, South Africans and people that are in cricket, and they're devastated by this. You know, um, you know, the world, in some ways, likes to play 
ironic little uh, tricks on itself. You know, in the old days, most people won't remember this, but there was an English cricketer called Basil D'Olivera, who at the time Dolly. of yeah, at the time of white apartheid South Africa, uh, was not going to be allowed to tour uh, with England because of the apartheid, obviously. Uh, Basil D'Oliveira, I think, came from an Indian culture. He was an Indian, Anglo-Indian Englishman. And to their credit, it's slightly more complicated than this, but to their credit, uh, the English cricket um, cancelled the tour. And that opened up the era of, I think, 20-odd 20, 20 years of exclusion of South Africa from global sport. So once again, it's South Africa. But this time, it's a different form of apartheid. You know, what fault has this young lad got? You know, what fault has he got to be dragged in to all this political stuff? And, and like, it's by far, by a country mile, the own goal in my book for this week yes. and maybe for any week, because it is yeah. utterly, utterly tragic. Well, the, I mean, the ridiculous thing, Raj, is if you, if you take this a step further... You, you, what you're basically doing is saying, look, this 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 kid's he's Jewish. Of course, he's pro-Israel, right? So, therefore, what you're saying is, we need to root out all the other Jewish players and take them out because they are they are bound to be pro-Israel. I mean, the whole thing is it, it's farcical. It's absolutely farcical. And and the fact that and the fact that there has clearly been a set of deliberations about this. And this is the result. This wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. They've had, there's been phone calls and meetings and conference calls, and this is the thing they've decided to do. I, I, I mean, I, I honestly cannot, for the life of me, think how they can justify this to anybody. They can. They can. Uh, and I just, you know, I just try and wind the tape forward. And as you've already done, you know, wh wh where does this, uh, the natural conclusion of this lie um, sport's going to get ripped apart here because as I said about four or five months ago in one of the podcasts um, whether whether sport likes it or not follow the money the money for sport comes from media and comes from Wall Street guess what religion is kind of prevalent in both of those industries the Jewish religion and, and frankly I've got zero problems with zero problems with that um, and um, that's not the point. But the, the, the fact is, sport has got to be very careful here. If it starts thinking like this, then anybody can make a case for every single manifestation in our sporting calendar to be under some kind of challenge. That's what it ends up. Yeah. No, I, look, I, I don't disagree. I, as I say, it's funny, I'm glad you brought this up because I, I was just getting on another plane this week and I saw the headline come through. Um, and I and I didn't get to read the story, um, but uh, I was just shaking my head, and I thought exactly the same. I just said, "How can you possibly sack a Jewish guy for putting out a pro-Israel tweet? It just it's just beyond me." Yeah, nine, under nineteen, it's just it's just beyond me. Well, um, I have I have another own goal, and uh, it's a week of own goals this week. It's um, and, I, and I'm talking about everybody's favourite Welsh football club owner. Do you know this guy, Di Yongi? So Dai Yongi bought 75% of uh, Reading back in 2017, I think it was. Um, and since then uh, has run the club um, the way uh, several other Chinese businessmen have run their enterprises over the last 10 or 15 years, let's put it that way. Um, and uh, this week they were playing Port Vale and the fans on the 16th minute invaded the pitch and they invaded on the 16th minute because Reading have been docked a total of 16 points over three seasons now. Um, they've had points deducted in three consecutive seasons because this guy either hasn't paid the wages or hasn't paid his taxes or has deposited the money late to pay players' wages. It's a complete and utter shambles. And the fans came on the pitch, uh, 1,600 of them, which is a pretty good crowd for Reading, I would have thought, uh, came on the pitch and... But was it specifically uh, 1,600 because of those 16 points? No, no, no. I don't think they had any control over <laughs> how many people came on. But um, but they refused to leave the pitch. And they the, the club were over the loudspeaker saying, if you don't leave the pitch, we're going to get deducted points. Um, and the fans didn't find that all that compelling. 
And so they, they literally waited 70 minutes, realised they couldn't shift them and the game was abandoned. Reading will, will now get docked more points, presumably. Um, but watching this whole thing play out, uh, you know, you, you realise, Rog, that um, the ownership of these clubs, uh, and we've talked about this in the past, and we had the terrific Gary Sweet on uh, of Luton Town a couple of seasons ago. Simon um, And Simon Hallett down in, uh, down in, in Plymouth. Um, and, and, you know, and, and it just shows you this, this idea that you are stewards of the club and your idea is to, you know, hang on to it, keep it going, build it up um, and, you know, and, and pass it on. But it, it's always going to be the fans that own it. Um, and, and here we see the very worst facets of, of entrepreneurs, and I use the term loosely, deciding that they want to own a trophy asset. And I'm not quite sure how anyone thought Reading FC was a trophy asset. Sorry to any Reading fans out there, but still. Um, and use it as their own personal playground without any regard for the rules, without any um, fit and proper tests. Who knows? You know, the, the, the takeover was approved by the uh, by the league, which raises more questions. Um, uh, it's just, you know, I, I, I suspect, Rose, we're going to see more of this as, as businesses and businessmen who own sports franchises find that the era of zero cost capital that you and I have spoken and you've written an entire book about goes away, they are going to find themselves under much more pressure under their businesses. And guess what's going to suffer? You know, it is going to be the sports clubs. It is going to be the trophy assets they bought when money was free and they could they could lever up to buy these things and, you know, become the big the big man in the big chair. Um, so I think uh, we are going to see more of this. We're going to see more football clubs being let yeah, down by, by previously yeah. wealthy owners who aren't as wealthy anymore. That's, that's why, you know, you look for people who are going to try and save this industry. And at the governing body level, I just don't think the leadership's been there. Come back to that in a second. Um, at the fan level, with all the will in the world, they are not rational people and some of them are not the nicest people. Um, the players, they're in all I'm all right jack mode with their agents. And that's why I think there's going to be a return of some version of... of Organised labour, organised fandom, uh, trade unions. Um, sadly, sadly, I believe that will be hijacked by politicians and government reg regulators, and and they don't have neither the the will or the ability to do it because they are up to their neck in corruption themselves. So I, I, I'm relatively relatively pessimistic, and I start looking at I start looking at who's starting to leave the ship. Keith Pelly. Martin Slumbers, um, you know, two major, major executives in golf. I actually think um, two, I would put them pretty high up there. We had Keith on here. And um, whilst I'm often somebody that says that they should have seen all this coming before they did, I know very well that it's very difficult in these organisations where you're basically in charge of a member association where consensus is dreadfully difficult. It's very difficult to show leadership because they don't want it and trying to build consensus with leadership is really hard. But they've gone. Um, Scottish Rugby CEO, I think, is gone as well. Um, we're right in the middle now, uh, if I can use that phrase, perfect storm. But how did you, how are you interpreting what's happening in the world of golf? Linking the thing about Rory being quite conciliatory and then getting slammed by Greg and getting slammed by Phil. It's not getting better golf, is it? Uh, I tend to disagree. Well, let's just, let's, let's, let's talk about what, what better means, Roger. I think for me as a golfer, better means they sort this out somehow. Um, and I think, you know, interesting you mentioned Keith. Keith is staying on for three months till April. Uh, you know, he got he got the, the his dream job, basically going back to Toronto to, to run the big four sports franchises there. He said it was the one job that he always wanted and would leave um, the DP World Tour for. I take him at his word. I mean, that's for a Canadian to go home and do that. It seems fair enough to me. But he's staying on until April, and the sense is that there is a deal to be done here. I think Rory... What Rory said hints at what it will be in that Live Golf will be like a fall series, like an IPL, a mini IPL. It'll play in this team event over four, six, eight weeks in, you know, October, November time. Um, uh, I suspect that is the way this is going. And I, and I think I'd be surprised if there weren't at least the bare bones of a deal being talked about backwards and forwards now. I think we're at that point. 
So I suspect this will go away. Now, it'll go away in terms of both sides making nice shaking hands. What remains to be seen is how they reintegrate everybody because it's it's difficult to see if they want this thing to quieten down and go away. It's difficult to see how they how they achieve that by just going, okay, we're all back in and you take your money and keep all your money. And there's a lot of water under the bridge here that needs to be kind of um, calmed. And so that's going to be the tricky part, I suspect. But look, Rog, sadly, it's nothing that um, the kind of money Saudi has thrown at these things can't ameliorate to some extent, to some extent, right? So, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I see people like Keith and Martin leaving, you know, hugely impressive individuals. Um, and and when you see guys of that caliber stepping away, it, it tells me that uh, they see the writing on the wall and they see a lot of less capable, less principled people um, getting footholds in other parts of the of the industry and people they're having to deal with, the, the kind of people they don't particularly want to have to deal with and be forced to deal with. Um, so I, you know, I think it's good and bad. I think it's it's a sign that there will be peace in golf at some point in the next three, four, five months. It'll be a tenuous one, but I think the deal will get done. Um, I have to say I give tremendous kudos to Rory for saying what he said, coming out and saying that. I mean, you know, I, I know your opinions are Rory. I, I have a different view of him. The evidence... I think either of us could use the evidence to make our case, so I I don't think there's a definitive argument here to be made. But for me, for him to come out and say that publicly um, speaks a lot, I think, to his character because that can't have been an easy thing to say. I think Greg Norman's reply speaks an awful lot to his character because he just can't help himself. You know, he has to have a dig instead of being magnanimous. You know, in fair play, Mickelson was magnanimous to Rory, right, which which I didn't expect from Phil. So fair play to him for that. You know, Norman's Norman. He just, he just can't help himself. Um, so we'll see, Rog. Uh, but um, I, I, I think this is a sign that something will get done in golf and, and we'll, we'll have this cleared up finally to some extent within the next three or four months. I hope so. Mm. On the SRU one, pop quiz... This may be wrong, the information, but I was given this information because I asked the question. When's that ever stopped us? Yeah, well, petty and ill-informed, yeah. So uh, I didn't even know this guy had gone. I don't even know what his name is. I don't follow rugby that much, as you know. Um, What do you think the CEO of the Scottish Rugby Union is on? Okay, let me think. Uh, Well, there's the what should he be on and what would I guess he was on based on the fact that you're asking me? So I would think the right number is probably like 100 grand a year and he's probably, you could probably tell me he's getting paid 600. I was told he's on 800. Now, the, re- <laughs> the, 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 reason, the reason I have that information, which may be wrong, uh, and if it is, I apologise, but two people come on to me and, he said, and they said, Roger, you want to go back to Scotland? Um, you'd be just right for this job. I nearly took that job in 2003 when I left the Scottish Premier League. Met Andy yeah, Irvin. Should we, get, should we get Jimmy to edit out that bit about you don't really follow rugby much, just in case? <laughs> <laughs> they may come for you. <laughs> well, listen, uh, it was all signed and sealed and then somebody blackballed it. Um, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't right. But I was... Um, a couple of inches away from the try line of being the CEO of the SRU in 2003. Uh, so these some people know this and they came on to me and they said, look, would you go back now and everything like that? And, and you know, I won't, I wouldn't do that. Uh, it's just not right in my, my life. But um, I said, well, what's the salary? 800 grand. I nearly fell off my chair, Grant. I nearly fell off my chair. Do you remember what it was in 2003? Um, I think it was... Under, I think it was about 150. Yeah, okay, all right. Because I, I was on at the end of the SPL, I was on about with a bonus, including the bonus, about 120. Um, and and there was, it was a wee bit more than that. So, so you know, sport pays itself really well, and this is why I keep coming back to it. They won't want to rock the boat because it is super well paid. 
It's super, not an awful lot of accountability. You're a not-for-profit. You get to make money off somebody else's assets, blah, 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 blah. And thank you very much. And I'll also have my expense account. No wonder they don't want to change anything, Grant. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely right. Absolutely right. I mean, that, that, look, it, again, it, it, it shocks me, but it doesn't surprise me here and there about the SFU president, uh, SRU president. That's... That's how the world works, right? That's how if the world it's works wrong, days, I'll take it back. But that was the information I was given. Um, last thing to finish here. We started with the NFL. Let's end with the NFL unless you've got something else. Um, no, you carry on. You you round up with um, Bill Belichick. I I saw I saw Tom Brady. And I, and I know that in the last couple of years, it's maybe it's been slightly different. But they asked Brady in his car what Bill Belichick meant to him and he kind of like broke down in tears. I don't know if you saw that. I don't know whether it was genuine or not. It looked relatively genuine for me. Otherwise, he's a very good actor. Uh, and the question was, what is Bill Belichick? I've seen Belichick? his adverts for the crypto company. He's not a good actor. <laughs> right. So he was genuine. And he said, look, you know, you're asking me what Bill Belichick did for me. All, all I can answer is what did he not do for me? And then he went into this thing and he choked up and he asked, to, you know, for a moment and everything like that. Tell listeners who Bill Belichick was and what his role is in the, the history of the NFL. Ah, oh, look, he's he's one of one of the great coaches, period. Right. He's, he's he, he created a dynasty in the New England Patriots. Um, with Brady at quarterback, uh, he was the previous. He was, I think, he was the defensive coordinator for the Jets, and he took this head coach job at uh, at New England, um, who had a great quarterback at the time, and Drew Bledslow. And and uh, uh, he got injured. He put Brady in, and that was that. You know, the, the two of them created this extraordinary dynasty, um, and he did it again and again. You know, he built team after team. Roger, it was he, he's a he's a he's a tremendous coach and uh you know will undoubtedly be be hailed as one of the great coaches of all time but, but I, there's one other part to this story that I, that you you probably wouldn't have seen but is worth um is worth adding to this and that's the the same week uh, a guy called Nick Saban uh, announced his retirement as coach of Alabama um and again uh, in a in a college uh, the college world Nick Saban is going to be one of the all-time great coaches you know what he did with the Alabama Crimson Tide is is extraordinary and the two of them there is actually a, I think it's on Amazon there's a there's a there's a series on Amazon or, or I think it's a, a mini series with the two of them talking about coaching together you know they took these two great coaches from the NFL and and the college football ranks and and got them together to talk about coaching it's fantastic if anyone hasn't seen it it's it's well worth your time um but you know it, it's just that thing Roger. you know the same way we lose Beckenbauer and and Zagallo and Bobby Charlton in quick succession. We have two of the great coaches step down, and you you these things happen, right? These guys, we've got Pelly leaving, Slumbers leaving, guys who were at the very top of their game, who've who've had longevity, who've done it through thick and thin. They tend to know the right time to walk away. You know, not so much athletes because athletes have that itch to be a centre stage and the coaches just, they're never centre stage the way the athletes are. And I think it's much easier to walk away as a coach than it is to walk away as, like, a, you know, Michael Jordan's a perfect example of this, right? Um, uh, and, and guys like this, when I see them walking away, Rog, going back to what we talked about at the beginning in terms of sports perfect storm and, and where we are in all this, when you see the grandees of multiple sports, uh, Guys with gravitas, guys with with real legacy, say, you know what, it's enough. That to me says something about the wider issues that sport is facing. It's not just I'm old, I'm tired. It's not that at all. It's this is not my world anymore. This is not the game I love. This is not the circumstances I want to coach in. And it's time for me to walk away. So I, you know, I think it's um, I think they both had extraordinary careers. I think they will both go down as all time greats. And I think their leaving is a symptom of much, much deeper problems, the kind of which you and I talk about here every time we get together. Yeah. Great. All right, my friend. Um, if we want to lift the tone a little bit um, uh, for a second, uh, because that is a bit of a downer. Um, have you got any more, any more wedding floors collapsed? Well, Multiple actually, mentioned wed, wed, wedding floors, <laughs> but I know I was I was actually going to go to the Newcastle Vermont ho Hotel penthouse. Um, that, that's that's quite an interesting story. Do you know Do you know that one? Do you no. know that one? No, go on. Well, of course, you know how Newcastle has um, uh, hit a, a rocky spell. 
in, in recent months on the a field. rocky spell. They've been awful, Rog. Well, I'm, I'm I mean, fairness, they've got 11 first team players injured, so in, right, there is yeah. mitigation here, I yeah. think. Yeah, and, and um, Kieran Trippier has been the kind of like uh, poster child of, of that underperformance. Um, did you not hear the story about the five players that have rented out a penthouse in the hotel? Well, like Berlusconi esque to, to, to house a selection of young ladies to um, entertain them. This is all over them. A certain social media that maybe you don't frequent, uh, but it, it's all over. So that's the theory of why Newcastle aren't performing because they've set up. <laughs> and anyway, so the reason it came out is because apparently Trippier's wife found out about it and um, she's not happy, and he's kind of like funny though. feeling the effects of that. There we go. Oh, so is this is this 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 is what his. Um... This is what his poor form has been put down to. Apparently, that's, that's what the Georgians are saying. not the hotel, but the wife founding out. Well, if she hadn't found out, I think it would have been happy days. It would still be probably in the top four. Let's be honest. The, the, the lads can't be upset. I mean, like you, you, you'd knock them off their kind of rhythm like that and they're not going to do it on the field. They were doing fine until she found out. <laughs> it's, it's her fault. It's her fault. Nicely. <laughs> Nicely foot, Rog. Nicely foot. Anyway, All right, mate. Well, that, it's a yes. That's a good way to end. It's, a, it's certainly, it's certainly, it's certainly a lighter, a certainly a lighter in unless you're, you're, you're Kieran Trippier, Kieran I guess. Trippier. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Well, matey, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, yeah. Our thanks lovely. to you out there for listening. Uh, we appreciate you doing that. If you haven't bought a copy of Roger's book Sports Perfect Storm get onto Amazon don't know what you're waiting for it's terrific it's out uh, of stock you can find in a lot of places out of stock there we go you see yeah they, they told underestimated you. I told you it. I told you mate I told you um, you can follow us on uh, Twitter if you don't do that already you'll find us at entertain R that's the word A-R-E you'll find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H and you can find me at RPM Como as in the lake as in the lake until next time my friend adios Thank you very much.